Welcome to a special episode of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, and in this episode, we have teamed up with our friends at Writers Republic. They help some great authors get their books out to the world, and I am working with them to get to know some of their authors, hear their stories, and the stories behind the stories, how the book got written, and you're going to get to learn both their stories and about some awesome books you're going to want to know about. So enjoy this special author edition of The Guy Who Knows a Guy. Hello, and welcome once again to another special interview with the Writers Republic series for the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. Uh, today, we are interviewing Rob Rubinetti, and Rob is an author. He grew up in West Orange, New Jersey. He was very artistic doing theater, miniature theater, playing music, but he had a great love of science and science fiction. My kind of guy. Likely why we hear why later he went on to obtain degrees in mechanical and nuclear propulsion engineering, growing up in an unparalleled time of space exploration since he was a child, only fueled his sense of wonder. Seeing the universe through the eyes of great people of the time, like Carl Sagan, and through platforms such as Voyager, Hubble, and the now James Webb Space Telescope, he could not help but be completely taken with the mysteries and awe of the universe. Throughout his life, he wrote stories which he kept until he reached a moment in life when he decided it was finally time to publish them. And Shadows of the Future is the first of that series, which we'll be learning about here today. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate being here. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely excited to talk to you because I'm a bit of a geek myself, as uh, as you know from us talking before, and as the people listening probably know if they know me. And if they don't, well, I just told them. I'm a bit of a geek. So, um, so Shadows of the Future, the first of a series, and uh, as you may be aware, there's a few sci-fi books out there, a few hundred thousand. So, so how is your book different from all the other books in the market such that someone should grab that one? Well, that's a very good question. I wanted to try something that was a very different approach. Um, a lot of the science fiction that we have there are, are out there are in worlds that have been established with all new uh, propulsion systems and, and societies and things of that nature. <clears throat> My book specifically focuses on us, where we are today, within the next 50 years, mm. where we're going as a species. How do we get there? This, this first novel, Shadows of the Future, sets up our future in spaceflight technology. It is a first contact novel. It goes into how did we develop from a species that is essentially confined to our small sector of our star system to how do we expand beyond and where do we go? Uh, one of the issues that we face is how do we develop uh, technology to get to these other star systems? Um, however, I used the concepts that we have been finding new things just around us with all the new platforms, James Webb Space Telescope, um, recently, we just found an entire galaxy sitting right on top of our own. That's been hidden forever. So, you know, the, the concept of this book, it introduces um, a new star system that we discover 1.8 light years away. Uh, okay. But it also introduces the, the whole first contact between our species and another species, not directly, but a probe that we send out called Viewer that's beyond our heliosphere and is able to see this star system because it intercepts a, a communication from an alien probe. So it's actually a meeting between two probes in deep space. And that's how the entire uh, book begins to formulate that we've discovered there's somebody else out there. 
there's somebody else exploring. We don't know the specifics. We don't know why they're out there. We don't know what their intentions are. But in time, we get this communication, but we don't know what it is. And so uh, the premise of this story is an old NASA scientist and his 17-year-old son, uh, he was one of the builders of this probe that was shut down by NASA because of other, uh, other projects that were being taken on. And he dedicated himself to reactivate this probe with his son. And when they did, they just, they found the star system and they also find this communication. Mm -hmm. The son, the son, however, finds a little bit more out about his father and why he pursued this so much. And it had to do with the death of his mother. And so they worked on the project together and the husband wanted to continue her work. And so the son takes a copy of the communication and dedicates his life to going ahead and decipher this. And he's about to go off to college and he does. And while he's in college, that's where he meets uh, a bunch of new individuals who influence his life and introduce him to new technology, actually technology for the hearing and visually impaired, which ultimately helps him develop a device um, under uh, a professor at the university uh, and uh, his girlfriend, eventually, who also happens to be deaf at the beginning of the book. And he develops a technology which eventually he's able to decipher the communications. And as the story goes on, he is put in charge of the project to eventually figure out how do we transmit to them? Because later they find out that their calculations are incorrect. And this probe is not just sending signals to our probe, it's heading towards it. And after it heads towards it, it's going to head to us. And so we are on a deadline to figure out uh, what are we going to do? Mm. Anyway, so this is this sets up the premise of the story. And naturally, the military gets involved. Right, governments right. get involved. And it's what do we do? We, we can't hide this anymore. There's a probe that's going to be coming into our orbit. And what do we do once it happens? <laughs> and so does this also get into like the, the sociological, like how does the public... Does the public know? Uh, how does the public respond? How does the government respond? That sort of thing beyond just the technology and the the bleeps and the bleeps and the bloops and the bams and the zoops? Well, the, the the public is kept kind of out of this for a time being because of the way it's being managed and naturally mm -hmm. by the government. Um, but what what it, what it sets up is once the ability to decipher the transmission is determined and once they determine that this probe is coming, they do form uh, through the United Nations the a committee to inform the world that this is happening um, because they're not going to be able to hide it from the world once this probe enters orbit. And mm -hmm. they start to, they start deciding how can they what are they going to communicate? What does it want? Um, why is it coming? Mm -hmm. um, and and what they eventually find out is this probe is one of several that were sent out by this alien race called the Xenophron. Um, they're from Gracux, which is an actual star system, 88 light years from us. It's the first red giant star that you'd find. And their planet is going to be consumed by their sun. And so they're looking for a new home. Um, Earth is not their type of planet. So they're not interested in our planet. But eventually what they do find is two planets in our star system that they are interested in. And they're interested in Neptune and Uranus because the species lives for 10,000 years per generation. 
Mm-hmm. And at the end of each generation, they secrete a material in which then their consciousness goes into. So they have no consciousness really of or concepts any longer of death, of, you know, their, they, their lifespans are near infinite. So they don't reproduce. They pretty much stay in a constant um, in their society. And most importantly, they're not emotional. They're very they're basically very logical and they make decisions as a unit. So what they offer human beings, which is where the story gets interesting is they offer a star system. That was what the, our probe sees and where they were exploring, which has three earth-like planets in it. And so they agree to help our civilization get there in exchange for Uranus and Neptune. And so this starts setting up, okay, we don't have the technology to get there. How do we do this? And so mm-hmm. whole new technologies have to be developed. Uh, this becomes a main crux of the development of the dynamic fusion engine, which essentially is a particle accelerator that accelerates hydrogen to close to the speed of light, contains it in a magnetic bottle, fuses it, and allows fusion, essentially a dynamic fusion propulsion system to develop uh, which allows us to ultimately reach about half the speed of light, minimizing time distortions, you know, all the different Einstein uh, mm-hmm. relatively issues, and ultimately allows to us allows us to have a round trip to this star system in about ten years. So four years there, including acceleration, deceleration, four years back, acceleration, deceleration, and two years to seed the various worlds out there. But there's some twists in that this race isn't interested in meeting a whole bunch of us because we're just too primitive for them. So they agree to do a meeting out there between their civilization and ours with one ambassador. So we have to send one person to this star system. That's going to be a basically a 10-year, <clears throat> four years to get there and then spend years with an alien to try to explore these worlds and provide all that information back to us. Interesting. Hey, and- one of the concepts I, I like there when I was asking about the the economics and the, the society and whatnot is there's you know the, the idea of hard and soft sci-fi, um, but long ago I came up with the concept of viscous sci-fi because I was trying to think of a different access axis, and that's more how it aligns with the soft sciences. So you know a lot of sci-fi it's great with the, the the physics and all that, but then it gets into economics and sociology and it's it, it doesn't really touch you. like just just say in space and shoot your ray guns. Um, but it sounds like yours really gets into a bit more of the human interaction and the the politics and the military, and then when the public learns about it and and all the dynamics, you get into to some of that human stuff yes, that, as well. Absolutely, because um, one of the things that it does touch upon is our current state of the planet. Mm. The fact the fact that uh, our planet has gone through a tremendous amount of ecological issues, and so this provides, I'll call it the the connectivity to bring many of the different nations together around the world to start talking and saying, okay, we can no longer act as individual nations. We Mm -hmm. have to act as a single entity. It's still very difficult for many of the entities to do, but it's the only way that we are able to pool our resources together uh, in order to develop the technology and eventually um, travel and colonize these other worlds. And the first, the first colonization happens at the very end of the book, and about 300 to 400 million people leave our Earth and go there. But 
in so going there, there is a mystery that has to be solved. The representative that we sent out on the very first ship, which was essentially the, I'll call it the scout ship, uh, the explorer, as they were exploring the last planet or coming to the last planet, both our ship and the alien ship and our representatives disappeared, not to oh. be heard of. And so now we're thinking something nefarious may have happened. There's no communication from the alien species. And then suddenly the alien probe disappears from Earth and speeds away. And no one hears from it again. And so then we have to send our, an agreement is made to send our colonization ship out to meet the fleet of alien ships that's heading towards us, but in that star system to then find out what happened to our representatives. And that, that sets you up for the second book in the series, I assume. That sets up three threads, which definitely begin the next book. Because mm. there's, there's a, a sequence at the near the end of the book where representatives, the, the, the character, the main character of the book, Daniel, finally reaches this new star system. And he finally is going to meet a Xenophron, the representative, the alien representative. And this is very at the end of the book. So you're not meeting aliens throughout the whole book. It's, mm -hmm. it's not till the end where this meeting comes up. It's how do we get there? But when they get there, they find that on a, on a moon of one of these worlds that they were going to explore, they find the crashed remnants of both ships. And when they get there, the planet is, the moon is not habitable. Uh, but somehow there's a civilization there, just one little, one little colony right near where these two ships are. And they get there, and as they get there, the alien probe and our probes are suddenly on obelisks directly in front of the city. And they go inside, and in the city, <clears throat> they eventually, it's all made out of a, a unique material, but it's just uh, because it's made out of the material from the planet. But they get there. And they meet this other civilization that's a crossbreed between ours and theirs. Now, we can't interlink with the, the species, but what we did was the main representative that we sent out there was actually grown during the trip. He's a hybrid human, and that hybrid human is a hybrid of Daniel because he's the only one who can understand the alien language when this started. Mm -hmm. and, so, um, and so the uh, representative they took the cloning equipment out of a ship and created an entire species of clones to help them. But when the party finally gets to where these two individuals are, they're in a black onyx step pyramid. That's nothing like anything else on that planet or that particular moon. And they also noticed that it has a lot of hieroglyphic marks on it that are nothing like their species or ours. Mm -hmm. when they and when our when Daniel finally meets Christopher his clone and they finally have their their discussions and they tell them what happened Daniel is given something that he's always wanted which was something that was on the probe that his parents put on the probe which was a recording but he also is given something else he's given an, an amulet that amulet has the same markings as the, the step pyramid and Christopher tells him to go live his life and enjoy his, his wife and his 11-year-old daughter and enjoy them because this amulet is for his daughter and he would know when to give it to her. And he's, he's, he's been wanting to get end, end this obsessive need to get out there from his father, himself, 
all the things that he had to do to to get to this final meeting and thinking, you know, now I can at least have my family and be with my family. And now he's being told by his clone in the future, your daughter is going to continue. And here's some alien technology that she's going to need. And for him to say that means that he knows something about the future that he does not, that Daniel doesn't. And so it sets up that there's something coming. And if you, in the, at the end of my book, there's two pages uh, epilogue, which talks about the, uh, the rise and what happens with Amanda Stevenson, who is his daughter. And he tries very hard to pre- pre- prevent her from ever getting involved by t- turning her into the field of archaeology, keeping her grounded on earth. Well, if he had thought about it, a step pyramid is not something that archaeologists are going to just ignore. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, <clears throat> and, and you mentioned the, the family um, dynamic. So through the series, you're following one family in multiple generations on through time. Is that, that right? Correct. When the story is done, it's going to cover about 100 years, mm-hmm. um, starting in the very near future where Daniel's father, John, and his mother, Marion, are working for NASA on the, the deep space probes, kind of like the one we're about to send out to Uranus. But anyway, um, they're, they're, they meet there, they marry while on the project, they get pregnant. And then shortly after the first probe is launched, the rest of the probes are discontinued for the moon base, the Mars missions, and all of this. And then the mother dies at childbirth. So the father becomes obsessed with continuing their work Mm-hmm. The project eventually gets shut down after about 15 years. Two years later, he has enough money scraped together to rent time to reactivate the probe. And his son is just before he goes to college. He takes him with him. And that's when they reactivate it and everything starts. So okay. it's the father's, it, the father is actually very obsessed with doing this, no matter what happens, even if he goes broke. But uh, he wants to do this. The son finds this out by reading his journals and decides that he wants to pick up the mantle for his father. And that then brings us into Daniel's life of, it literally starts and ends at the same moment in time. And the entire book is told in flashback. Um, okay. Interesting. Because, uh, yeah, the, the opening, when the opening scene happens and the ending scene happens, it's literally within, an, within a very short time span of about three or four days, about five days, because uh, he's, with his father on the, the ship returning from the star system uh, and his father is going to is passing away and he wants to be with him and his father wants him to tell the story. So he's there to tell the story. And a lot of people may have some questions about the first f- six or seven chapters. Um, I've been asked by several people who've read the book, Rob, the first few chapters seem a little disjointed. That's on purpose because the first several chapters the father is telling the story to Daniel and he's shifting in and out of dementia out of different time periods. And so he's remembering things that happen and then suddenly remembering another time. And mm-hmm. they, these all are important because they all merge together. Um, but it's important because then about chapter seven, the father gets into a coma and then Daniel has to pick up the story. So it's told from his perspective. Oh, yeah. And so, so that's where everything comes together because now he can bring the coherency to all of this of the events that event that took place after that. So it's a it's it's a pretty interesting thing, and there's part of the story that actually has to be told by Daniel's clone during the exploration uh, and meeting the 
the Xenophron ambassador, Venetia. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a lot of dynamics that are occurring in this, but it was important to make it about one family yeah. because that's the dynamic that keeps it together. That's the passion. That's the obsession. That's the drive. It's something that is within their makeup, their DNA, what they've seen in their parents, the, the environmental conditions, uh, the, the things that their parents drove them to that brought this out in them. You know, Amanda winds up in the second book becoming a, 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 a incredible archaeologist and meets a man that is much older than her and falls in love with her. Um, and he is ultimately works with the military who finds another step pyramid that's been destroyed on Mars. And so that's her. She gets sucked into it from that direction. And eventually she becomes the one person who is able to decipher the the new alien language because of that alien tech that her uh, father's clone gave her in the first book. So nice. it's yeah. it starts setting up more and more and more threads. Um, and then Amanda becomes a major character in the second. She's introduced as an 11-year-old at the end of the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the main character of the second book, big part of the third book, but the her twin sons become the main thrust and, there. And then the family dynamic is great because it allows you to um, use a long time span without losing the continuity so the readers aren't like, all right, yeah, this is cool. hundred years later, different people. Cause so when you, when you're trying to tell that, that long of a story, it's hard to, to keep the reader engaged. It's hard to engage with like a country a hundred years later. That's, it's not personal. Whereas a family and you know, this is their grandson. This is their great grandson. This is their great, great grandson. It makes, makes it very, very personal. Speaking of, of personal, um, so you dedicated the book to a man named Ralph Kelly. So who was Ralph Kelly? Oh, gosh. Ralph was like a second father to me. Um, Ralph was the art director, crafts director at the community center in West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, he taught my sisters, my brother, me. Uh, he had been a friend of the family for over 40 years. Um, when I mentioned theater and miniature theater, I did it all under him. He taught me everything. I knew about uh, theater, uh, about writing, about stories. Um, I knew him. He knew me since I was born. My mom and dad were his you know, best friends. And, but he really, when it came to that town, if you were in school, regardless of what school you were in, if you had gone to the community center, any art teacher, theater teacher, anybody in any school, they would know if you had worked with or had been instructed by Ralph because he was just one of the most unique individuals out there. And he taught thousands of kids. And uh, to this day, I get people calling me saying, Hey, um, I saw that a guy called me. JV connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV dash connect.com December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.